we must understand God's word and God's world yeah. to be concurrent sources of knowledge and nourishment. This is going to be the conversation of our lifetime. They're mm-hmm. in a very real and defining way. They're having this conversation, yeah. so we ought to listen. Yeah. This becomes a more difficult conversation because it automatically it has underpinnings people. of liberal versus conservative. Exactly. Right. For today, we simply want to put the cards on the table and say or ask what is actually being proposed and what is being um, right asserted. Critical race theory. You Marxist heathen. So Josh, in my generation, my time, I can think of a few boogeymen in Christian culture. All right. In the early 2000s, it was Eminem. Mm-hmm. Burn those CDs. Yes. In the 2010s, it was postmodernism. Yeah, swear word. Total curse word. Mm-hmm. And now you want to know what the most recent one is? Give it to me. Critical race theory. You Marxist heathen. This is like a bad word. This is the devil in a lot of Christian circles. And yet it is such a prominent and relevant discussion topic and field of discourse and engagement for so many uh, people, both in in schools, but also just in like Facebook and society. And so what is critical race theory? What does it mean? Is it the devil or is it not necessarily? I think this is really important for us to talk about. We should, definitely. So welcome to Kingdom Thinking, everybody. I'm Hansel. This is Josh, my co-host. We're super excited to have you guys tuning in. We're going to start a series on this. And so today we're going to simply bring up to the table, invite the guest in Mm -hmm. and see, okay, what is critical race theory? What's the deal? What does it mean? So that from there we can launch and say, how do we evaluate this? Yeah. Yeah. And this is important because we, uh, have seen this present itself in a few different formats over the last two or three years. It's really yes. beginning to gain a lot of steam, right. right? So we know that the SBC met and actually put out like a response to CRT in 2019. Okay, and what was uh, that? 2019. Yeah. And so it was not affirmative of it, right? For the most part, there were some parts where it's like, it's kind of fine as long as it's kind of subject to scripture, you know, okay. and, and that kind of conversation. But overall, it wasn't like a glowing endorsement correct. of CRT. Correct. But what we are understanding is like it is beginning to find steam and traction in college campuses. Mm-hmm. It's not completely uh, dormant there anymore. It's pretty common for, you know, kind of par for the course. And yeah. so we figured it would be important to talk about today. So you're right. We want to set this up in a way that is very neutral for this kind of first episode. And so we'll talk and dive more into opinions and thoughts and all of those things. But for the sake of this discussion, we want to be able to try and set this up as objectively and fairly as possible, Mm -hmm. uh, partly because we want to be able to have a good and in-depth conversation about what we're moving into. Absolutely. So CRT. uh, So what is critical race theory definition? uh, It's kind of a loose definition, right? right. If you kind of ask different scholars, you might get different responses. But what we're going to do for our sake and for the discussion of our video today, we're going to use the definition that's provided from Britannica because it's a very good starting Online encyclopedia. Uh, It's not overly, you know, political one way or the other. It just kind of seems like a good neutral for this discussion, right? right? So critical race theory as defined by Britannica says that it's the intellectual movement and a loosely organized, organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biologically grounded feature 
of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed or culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Right, so critical race theorists and hold that the law and legal institutions in the U.S. are inherently racist insofar as they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, and especially black Americans. Okay, that, that is a mouthful. Yeah, it's huge. So basically the idea is this, right, that uh, race is not this like biologically grounded understanding, right? Like it's a social construct that we have invented as a way to categorize ourselves in majority and minority positions. Okay. And because the U.S. is a country that was founded by white people, pretty much for white people, right? The idea that well, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that all men part really kind of only belongs to like white wealthy landowners, right? And so because that's the inherent birthing of this country, all of the stuff that stems out of that, right? It's kind of like the fruit of the poisonous tree, right? All of these things are going to have these inherently racist uh, tendencies to create these majority and minority positions where blacks and other minority communities are marginalized for the expense of white gain. Mm -hmm. So again, that's a lot. Yep. And we're going to do our best to take some time to analyze Mm -hmm. some of those claims for today. We simply want to put the cards on the table and say or ask what is actually being proposed yeah. and what is being um, right asserted. Yes. So um, this is where it's super important. Critical Race Theory and Introduction is a book that was published in 2001. Uh, Richard Delgado is a legal scholar who is actually one of the founders of CRT in uh, Jean Stefan, uh, Stefanik, Stefanik. I don't know. I'm definitely butchering that. My apologies, Jean. Uh, they include these six kind of following claims, right? Okay. The first one. Race is socially constructed, not biologically natural, right? We talked about that. Second, racism in the United States is normal, right? It's not like this aberration that's like, oh my gosh, racism, what is that, right? Like it is a common, ordinary experience of most people of color. Okay. Third, uh, owing to what critical race theorists call uh, the interest convergence or material determinism, right? Legal advances or setbacks for people of color actually tend to serve the interest of the dominant white group, right? So kind of the positioning of minority people for better or worse in this country, whichever direction it goes, usually comes as a way to serve or further the interests of white people. Number four, members of minority groups periodically undergo different racialization or differential racialization. Basically, it's an uh, attribution to them of like different negative stereotypes depending Mm. on the needs uh, or interests of white people, right? So one example of this would be like, uh, there's a comedian who will say, you know, in 2001, when Muslim, when a Muslim jihadist, right, blew up the Twin Towers, it like, it was a new form of brown people for white people to hate, right? Like, mm. it was kind of a different thing. So it's like, all Muslims became terrorists after that kind of conversation. Right. And, and so uh, that would be kind of an example of that. Uh, number five, according to uh, the thesis of what's called intersectionality, there's no individual that can be adequately identified by membership in a single group, right? So you're a male, but you're also Hispanic, right? You're also a Christian, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number six, this is called the voice of color thesis. It basically argues that people of color are uniquely qualified to speak on behalf of other members of their groups regarding the forms and effects of racism, right? So this consensus has led to the growth of what's called legal storytelling, mm-hmm. which basically is arguing that the self-expressed views of the victims of racism and other forms of oppression actually give us super valuable insight into the nature of the legal system as a whole. Okay. So I have uh, a few um, kind of recap yeah, thoughts good. for this. The The first thing that's interesting to me is that critical race theory is not a 
unilateral or monolithic study right. that relates to this aspect of society. Right. Critical race theory rather seems to be a compilation yep. of study methods in the disciplines of law mm-hmm. and where a it really bit, began in law. Right. And it worked really its way began out. right, exactly. So in legal frameworks and the application of um, social norms into individuals, mm-hmm. groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also in the fields of even uh, like sociology mm-hmm. or history, different methods of study that seek to answer questions about people groups from that perspective. Yeah, it's and attempting to to recognize patterns exactly. based on certain things, right? So That's exactly from right. the legal perspective, all through the 80s when black people were getting harsher sentences for crack than white people who were for powder cocaine, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing. So that would be some example of that legal exactly. storytelling. Th- that's exactly right. And so as, like you're calling it, legal storytelling is now getting latched onto media event after media event right. after media event, right? right. And right. it starts with all these narratives. And now, I mean, it's countless. Mm-hmm. Uh, the black unarmed people that mm-hmm. we see in the media who have deceased, um, now we have a linking mm-hmm. of not only a legal narrative, but now it's a social narrative. Yeah, right, right. Meaning this is what our society looks like. Right. These are the values that we see here. So now it's beyond just the lawyers. Yeah, right. The, the uh, legal experts in the academies. Mm-hmm. Now it's on like TikTok mm-hmm. and Facebook mm-hmm. and uh, Instagram. Yeah, because what people are recognizing is that all of these things Fabrics they are bump kind of interwoven into, with exactly, each other. Yeah. Exactly. So now Christians have to respond yeah, in a for certain sure. way, right? For sure. and, and like you mentioned, the Southern Baptist Convention said, like, well, uh, it's not great. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I, I, if I remember correctly, what that episode was like, they both denounced, like, hey, you want us to denounce the alt right? Okay, fine, but we're also going to denounce CRT as okay. well. I, I think, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. what that particular convention was about they were denouncing both okay saying you want us to deny like white supremacists all right whatever we're gonna do this too okay so that was one response uh-huh, right uh-huh. saying like we're gonna be left and right yeah it's bad yeah. it's extreme is bad whatever um what's interesting to me is man and this is crazy because i think of do you um do you watch soccer at all mm-hmm. do you know the, the liverpool their manager yeah uh, jurgen klopp amazing guy mm-hmm. i think he's a genius they asked him, like, um, again, this is after a match, right, right? Right, right, right. He's an expert at his craft, which is managing a soccer Soccer, team. yeah. The reporter asked him, what do you think about the pandemic and, and masks? And, like, he just came out of left field. And I actually really appreciated his response because he said, I'm not going to answer that question because I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in that field. Mm-hmm. Do I look like a doctor to you mm-hmm. who is qualified to give you an intelligent answer right. about what you're asking me. Right, right. No. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm actually just putting myself in a liability position. And so, no, like I'm here to manage this soccer team. This is my area of expertise. And he just didn't answer the question. Right. But he did it gracefully. And I actually really appreciated that. Yeah. And the reason that I think of that is because now if somebody asks me or if I, if I just think about what do I think about critical race theory? Right, I'm right. like, dude, first of all, I'm not nearly informed enough about it. Mm-hmm. But second of all, I now have to make a lot of conclusions, connections, evaluations based on 
uh, my convictions yeah. of faith as a Christian to then come to assess different social situations. Like this is really, really complicated. Yes, and this is exactly where we wanted to present this episode this way today. Correct. Was because a lot of these theological underpinnings that we all have and carry are going to be important as we interpret what CRT actually means and what it does and what it presents. But what we don't want to do is jump the gun exactly. right out of the gate and fully embrace something that exactly. might be bad or fully denounce something that actually might be really good and life-giving for the church. Correct. That's exactly right. And so to that end, we have one really awesome scholar who's going to help us today. Yeah. His name is Nathan Cartagena. He is professor of philosophy at Wheaton College, like Wheaton College of all places, right? Mm -hmm. A very prestigious kind of bulwark, uh, conservative, like evangelical, yeah. evangelical kind of schools. Yeah. Um, and they had to double take when I saw that. Yeah. That a yeah. school like Wheaton would allow, right? With what they're we've seen having in the that conversation. Yeah. yeah. That's telling. And because, they've been doing this for a couple of years. He actually, right. He actually talks that's about exactly that. That's exactly right. right. So this is not like a new thing. All that to say to our viewers is that we're not like, pulling a school from this isn't some you know r random school in i don't know boston yeah we're not or, looking at yale or harvard or some super exactly. liberal yeah this is an evangelical mm -hmm. school who's I, I would say the one of the more prestigious yeah this is our backyard in. yes they're having this conversation yeah. so we ought to listen yeah all right so talk to me about nathan yeah so he is a uh man just the more i read about him the more i just loved his heart and just who he was as a person right and so again as we try and always like we do with everything we're trying to steal man every position here we're not trying to like kind of take these Correct. little lame we're trying to be fair spots uh so basically uh this is an interview that he gives over at uh what's called sojo.net sojo is sort for uh, short for sojourner uh and it's given by a guy named uh, mitchell uh, intensio who interviews cartagena and so we're going to be using that really as our guide uh, and so his uh definition cartagena's he defines crt as a legal movement aimed at understanding resisting and remediating how U.S. law and legal institutions, such as law schools, have fostered and perpetuated racism and rights, white supremacy. But he also emphasizes that CRT now operates in disciplines and domains that are beyond the law and legal studies like we've Good. talked about. Good. And as a whole, this movement resists one sentence definitions. Interesting. Now, what does that tell you? Well, you, you can interpret this one of two ways right off the bat, because that secondary sentence right there is either going to lose people or immediately pull them in. Because mm. if you say, well, you resist one sentence definition, so you're going to do this like semantic overload where it's like, you know, with, with what the rights criticism of what Black Lives Matter has become, because everybody's like, of course, Black Lives Matter, but it also has what this does it other mean? thing. Yeah. So that's what semantic overload means. Right. And so if people want to be automatic in saying this is disingenuous and they're going to pull back right mm. out of that because it can't be boiled down simply. Gotcha. Or if you're a little bit uh, more palms up and a little bit less suspicious of this, it invites you into a deeper dialogue and discussion where you immediately have to say, oh, this is going to take a bit of time to unpack. I better get comfortable and read, you know, grab some coffee and be willing Got to kind of settle in. That's a this. good point. That's a good point. Right. I do think that's an honest and necessary yeah. disclosure, yeah, though. Yeah, for sure. And so I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And and so at least it lets us know where he's coming from straight Correct. away. Correct. So, uh, so they, they talk a little bit more. And what I thought was interesting here is as he was trying to, like, uh, say evangelicals will sometimes want to say, like, we want to take the good and leave the bad, right? Uh -huh. Not throwing the baby out with the bathwater or chewing the meat and spitting out the bones, that kind of thing. In response to that argument, uh, Cartagena says, I prefer to go with the following metaphor that you get from Bothius and Aquinas, which says uh, they talk about turning philosophical water into theological wine. Hmm. And what that would mean is like with something with CRT, the movement, it's going to be nourishing and life-giving in a way that water is. And then 
I want to fit critical race theory in with certain ideas about being made in the image of God, hmm. common grace, and general revelation, right? And as we talk about this theological wine, we are seeing this nourishing water, he says, uh, as now being in contact with Christ. It's Christ, a member of the Trinity, that's taking this up and helping us to see how we can view God's creation better. CRT scholars are helping us to think through how to move in these more uh, decolonial ways and address the church's egregious history. That is yeah. interesting. So what do you think of that? That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. One, I appreciate how forthright he is. He's like, listen, you want to push me into giving you this one sentence answer for this is? It can't happen. Right. Because it's a more complicated conversation. I, I like that honesty yeah. and the yeah. forthrightness. Like you said, that's either going to turn people on or off pretty immediately, right? Mm -hmm. But with reference to this uh, metaphor, I love that metaphor. Yeah. I think that that's amazing. Why do you think that's powerful for this specific discussion? So I think the concept of integration is invaluable to Christian uh, to Christian um, understanding, to Christian communication, to Christian uh, way of life. Yeah, living as a whole. Yes. Sure. And what I mean by that is that we must understand God's word and God's world yeah. to be concurrent sources of knowledge and nourishment. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if I'm... Uh, predisposed to think that God's word is going to uh, be in tension or over against what I find in God's world, then I think we're truncating and missing uh, the wholeness and the totality mm -hmm. of how God operates mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. Me meaning it's not just save their souls right. or their stomachs. It's both. Right, right. Um, and so, so how do you think this is a different kind of metaphor than like chew the meat, spit out the bones? Well, I'm not sure that it's necessarily different. Okay. Um, I think what he's saying is evangelicals are not very good at integration. Sure. We tend to be all one side or all the other, whatever I think, topic. But I think we're naive about it. Okay. So I, I would be okay with somebody who is honestly and intentionally saying, I just don't want to engage with the world, with science, with anything intellectual. I just don't want to. I'm going to bury my hand in the sand. Sure. That's fine. What I think is dangerous is when we as evangelicals make commitments to certain ideas and then pretend like we're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether that's economics or politics or like whatever, it doesn't yeah. matter. Right, right, right. The, the naive commitments and predispositions that we have are more dangerous right. than the ones that we're intentionally making. Mm -hmm. So what I understand this metaphor to mean is, one, let's not pretend that we don't make commitments mm -hmm. because Christian or not, you have convictions about economics, you have convictions about immigration, you have convictions about politics, so don't hide them, right. just be honest with them. Right, right. Number two, if we're gonna be honest about them, then let's use our uh, Christianity and theology and the Bible as the funding source, mm -hmm. as the impetus for these discussions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than just saying, well, that's a social problem. That's not a Christian problem. Right, right. It's like, right. no, 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 no. We're going to take that up into Christianity and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I appreciate about this. Yeah. So do you think that's his strongest, his strongest point? I think so. Um, now, he's making a lot of claims here that I think, just personally, you'd have to unpack more sure. to to get people on board. So like where he says, um, we're seeing this nourished water, now it's in contact with Christ. It's Christ who's 
who's a member of the Trinity that's taking this up and helping us to see how we can view God's creation better. I think you need to make the case for that. Sure. I'm yeah, not yeah, sure yeah. people are automatically going to assume, wait, that, that means it's wait Christ yeah. came to yeah. save us from our sins. How do you get from that to Christ came to save us from our racism? Like, yeah. You, I believe that. I just think you need to make the case sure, for that. Sure. The second thing is... Um, we need to see God's creation better. Critical race theory scholars are helping us to think through how to move in more decolonial ways and address the church's egregious history. That's going to rub a lot of people the mm-hmm. wrong way. Mm-hmm. So again, like I'm okay with that. I just think you need to make a case for these things yep. if you want a more captive audience. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and this becomes a more difficult conversation because it— automatically it has underpinnings of liberal versus conservative. Exactly, right? exactly. And, and as evangelicals, because we are products of the Enlightenment in terms of our faith, right, like we are so personal about everything and we individualize this. Exactly. And so we feel like, you feel like talking you're about being me. attacked. Oh, yeah, especially yeah. as a white guy. Like, yeah. hey, dude, this guy's coming straight at me, right? Yeah, like, did you just call me a colonialist? Yeah, yeah like, that's exactly right. That's it. So that is it. Uh, will forever be kind of that first bent that exactly. we have to examine. Like, hey, 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 yeah. same team. Yes, we don't need to same personalize team. this. Same team. Uh, yeah, and I like that he goes out of his way to mention that Jesus, a member of the Trinity, right? He's like, look, I'm as orthodox as orthodox <laughs> can get. He's like, I'm right. one of you. Like, don't just dismiss same me team. straight away. Same team. Yeah. So I really appreciate um, how honest that is. Yeah. Now, there's another uh, Christian scholars and, and Christian groups who are going to have a little bit of a different perspective yeah. on that. So we'll turn so, to the pushback here. Okay. Uh, so Neil Shinvi or Shinvi and Pat Sawyer from the Gospel Coalition uh, okay. write Another an article. Another evangelical yes. group. Yeah, we are keeping this well within the backyard today. Yes. Uh, and so they have this negative viewpoint of it, right? And so uh, here's what they say, basically. Uh, Christianity provides us with this overarching meta narrative, right, that runs all the way from creation to redemption. We're God's people. We've sinned against God. We need to be rescued through, you know, the atoning work of Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. And we're called to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. Yeah. And they make the assertion that critical race theory is associated with this meta narrative that actually runs from oppression to mm. liberation, right? Mm. And they're saying that we are either members, uh, you know, it kind of moves us into this conversation of like, as a white guy, I'm a member of a dominant group. And as a Hispanic, right, you're a member of a historically marginalized Correct. group. And, and so it gives a respect to that specific identity marker Correct. above, over, or over and above everything Yeah, else. in other words, meaning wrong story. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea here is that we have to divest power from ourselves to lift up other communities and to liberate others. And that kind of runs contrary to the idea that as humans, we can't do anything because we're so hopelessly stuck in our sin, right? That's kind of the argument that they mm-hmm. would make, that we don't have any power to give, that we're all equally right. broken as human beings, because we are all corrupted yeah. by sin here, right? Yeah. And so they make the argument, they say, quote, these respective meta narratives will vie for dominance in all areas of life. That's interesting. Consider, for example, the question of identity. Is our identity primarily defined in terms of our vertical relationship to God or primarily in terms of our horizontal power dynamics between groups of people, hmm. right? So, or consider the question of our fundamental problems as humans. Is our fundamental issue sin, in which case we all equally stand condemned before our holy God, or is our fundamental problem oppression, in which case members of dominant groups are tainted by guilt in a way that members of subordinate groups Hmm. are not? Yes. This is very much the most common pushback Mm -hmm. I've heard Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. most colleagues, thinkers, and then your, you know, regular evangelical who, who just has an opinion yeah. on this and hears it and says, well, now, wait a minute. Is is this, are these categories for viewing me, are they competing with what Christ mm-hmm. calls me? So 
this is the fundamental question that we're posing at yeah. the end of the day. Is this proposition that the color of your skin, your social class, and your social position, that that is actually a relevant idea that needs to be talked about yep. in as part of the ministry of the gospel as right. Christians? That that yep. is, is, is that compatible? Mm-hmm with the gospel, mm-hmm. which says it doesn't matter, uh, right? I'm thinking of that Galatians 3 passage. Yeah. Neither Jew nor Greek, Greek, slave nor free, man nor female. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Black, white, mm-hmm. you're all either condemned or saved merely uh, by the faith or lack thereof that you place in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are these ideas compatible or not? Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're gonna talk about. Yeah. Now, we're not gonna talk about it today, right? right? right, right, right but right. what we're saying is, like, this is important. Yeah. And you have two Christian uh, scholars, people who love Jesus, people who love the church, people who love their neighbor, who are answering this differently. Right, and here's why I wanna challenge our viewers very, very specifically to follow us in this series, because as America continues to move demographically, right, from being white majority to being non-white majority, right, which we're on track to do that sometime by like 2050, 2060 or something in there, like this is gonna be the conversation of our lifetime mm-hmm. in a very real and defining way. And so figuring out how you interact with this conversation in a way that is edifying and glorifying to God is going to be the difference maker in how well we live out our witness as followers of That's Jesus. That's exactly right. And so the charge to you as a viewer, right? Like if you're watching this, if you're interacting with this, isn't necessarily to agree with you and me, right? Mm-hmm. But it's to be able to really and genuinely think through this because this for me is one of the biggest pastoral concerns that I'm seeing in the way that I walk out my ministry as a youth pastor is like all of my kids who are non-white, are talking about these types of conversations. This is a big deal for us right now. We, we move through them regularly. I just mm-hmm. had a girl at youth group two weeks ago talk about how all white people were racist. I was like, whoa, okay. Like, let's we talk about yeah, that. Because really <laughs> I'm standing here and you just said that I'm not a racist, but I am because, you know, and so it's like, right. we got to talk about this. Yes, very. And so this is going to be really a, a defining issue for That's us exactly as right. leaders, as thinkers, as Christians. That's exactly forward. right. So as this series unfolds, we're going to have guest speakers. Mm-hmm. We're going to have people who are a lot smarter than you and I experts in some of these fields who are going to join us. So we really want to encourage you to keep tuning in. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe. Make sure you check out our app too. We have a Juice app Mm -hmm. so you can see all this content on the go. And we really look forward to hanging out with you guys as we continue to unfold this topic. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Kingdom Thinking. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. It's going to be a good series.